Our scripture this morning comes again from Genesis today, chapter 45, the first 15 verses. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out, Send everyone away from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother, Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall settle in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, you and your children, and your children's children, as well as your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will provide for you there, since there are five more years of famine to come, so that you and your household and all that you have will not come to poverty. And now your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my own mouth that speaks to you. You must tell my father how greatly I am honored in Egypt and all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept while Benjamin wept upon his neck, and he kissed all his brothers and wept upon them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So last week's sermon, we spent a lot of time talking about waiting, waiting. We explored how this can help us in our own spiritual growth we even came looking at all these stories we've been talking about about striving with God and even the ones before that when we were talking about being blessed and broken how waiting became this recurring theme that all these patriarchs all these ancestor virus in the faith who lived in this covenant relationship with God experienced this waiting and then at the very end I suggested that we try what I was calling expectant waiting. This idea that when we are attentive to God, when we have an awareness that God is alive and moving and at work in our lives and are watching for it, we will find our life intersecting with God's life. This Genesis saga has stories over long periods of time. So we find lots of the characters in these stories waiting as well. As we ended last week's sermon, we were waiting to see what happened with Joseph's brother's anger. Remember, they were so angry, it said they could not even speak to him peaceably. Their anger and their hatred finally erupted so that they conspired to kill him. 
But before they finished him off, a caravan came by and they thought they had a better idea. Make some money off of this guy. Sell him to this caravan. Get rid of him that way. They would still be rid of him, but they would also profit. So they did so. And then they deceived their father into believing that Joseph had not been sold into slavery, but had been killed by wild animals. These brothers together allowed their anger and their hatred to take over and lead them in all of these despicable decisions. Well, Joseph is taken away by the caravan, ends up in Egypt, sold again, ends up in prison through false pretenses. Things are not going well for him. But then there's a couple of other prisoners And these prisoners begin to see that he is a man of God and he rises through the ranks until he's the overseer of all the prisoners. Then these two particular ones have dreams that disturb them. They want someone to interpret them. Joseph says, I can help you with that. He interprets the dreams. One of these people is finally released from prison, goes back to work for the Pharaoh, finds a job there that he had before, he's back in it. And then the Pharaoh has some dreams that disturb him. He's trying to figure out what these dreams mean. And this person remembers Joseph and how well he had helped him and interpreted his dream for him, and he had been right. So he decides to tell Pharaoh, I know a fellow who maybe can help you with this. It's Joseph. The Pharaoh sends for Joseph and brings him out, tells him about his dreams. Joseph thinks about it a while. The Pharaoh says, I understand you can interpret this for me. And Joseph says, not I, but God. God can help me help you with this. And so he begins to tell him about his dreams. And as he describes to Pharaoh what he believes these dreams mean, Pharaoh is so taken. He finds Joseph's interpretation so compelling that he decides to release him from prison. But not only that, the more he talks to Joseph and finds out how wise and discerning he is, how he begins, the Pharaoh begins to believe that Joseph is listening to God and sharing God's wisdom with him, that the Pharaoh, in an unexpected, unforeseen twist, decides not only to let Joseph out of prison, but to make him overseer of all of his affairs, overseer of all of Egypt, if you will. Joseph, at 30 years old, is now second in command over all of Egypt. And sure enough, his interpretation about the dreams comes true. He has told the Pharaoh his dreams mean there's going to be seven years of plenty where the harvest will be great, but then there's going to be seven years of famine and it will be terrible. And he recommends to him that during these seven years of plenty, he begins to set aside some grain across the nation year after year after year. So when the famine comes, They will still have plenty of food to feed the people. And it all comes to pass the way Joseph has said. There are these years of plenty, then they run into these seven years of famine. Now the Egyptians are doing okay with Joseph's leadership. They have plenty of food in reserve. But up north where Joseph's family, his father Jacob, and all these brothers and all their families live... They are not so fortunate, and they begin to run out of food. 
Jacob, the patriarch of the family, sends the boys down to Egypt to buy grain. Little do they know that the person that they're going to have to negotiate with to get some grain is this brother, Joseph, that they have sold into slavery and they believe is gone forever. But when they come in to Joseph's presence, he recognizes them right off. But all they see is this Egyptian overseer. They have no idea who they're talking to. They negotiate the terms of buying the grain. Joseph, even though they don't know it is Joseph, Joseph wants to see his youngest brother Benjamin again. It's his only full-blood brother. So he makes a part of the negotiation. The idea that they can have the grain, they can take it home, but they need to bring this youngest brother they've talked about that's not with them back to see him again. So they go home, they take the grain, everything is good, they're eating, they're plenty, they're filled, but then they begin to run out of grain again. They need to go back to Egypt to get some more help. They need to take Benjamin with them. Jacob wants them to go, but not to take his youngest, Benjamin, with him. But they remind him that the fellow they have to negotiate with commanded them to bring their youngest brother back if they're going to come back. So they make this second trip. This time they bring Benjamin with them. The portion we've read today, this reading today, the portion which Joseph reveals his true identity to them. They have this audience with them. They're doing some more negotiating. Finally, Joseph is overcome. He can't take it anymore. He sends everybody out. He begins to tell them his true identity, but he's weeping and wailing. They don't understand what's happening. He's carrying on. They don't even know who he is. But he's told them who he is. And then he tells them a second time in verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Oh my, that's the clincher. He knows their secret. They don't think anyone knows what has happened, but this fella knows. He must be Joseph. They can't believe it. They don't know how to respond. And before they can respond... Joseph continues to speak in verse 5. He says, And now, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For God sent me before you to preserve life. This is one of the great reversals in all of Scripture. If Joseph would have let his ego reign, if he would have let his anger burn hot, what would have happened? He has all the power in this situation. If he had let his anger, frustration, his bitterness toward his brothers take over, he could have thrown them in prison. He could have tortured them. He could have starved them to death. Or he could have killed them on the spot. But rather than any of that, he sees all of this from God's perspective. 
He interprets this whole saga that he has endured from God's perspective. He believes that God has utilized all of these events as divine provision to preserve life. Let me read up that part to you again. Joseph says, Do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Do you hear that? Do you remember these covenant promises? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in relationship with God, all believing God has said to them, I want to utilize you to bless others, so I'm going to bless you with descendants, with land, and with wealth. And here it is again coming right back into focus, these covenant promises promises from God that these people who are willing to walk on behalf of God in the world will have descendants that God can use to spread these blessings. Descendants have always been a key part of these covenant promises. It gives God people who will live in covenant relationship with God that will be a funnel of blessings for others. Joseph has this ability an uncanny ability to set aside his own personal hurt or injury or anger and see what God wants to do through him. He's able to put all of that aside and perceive that God wants to do something bigger than for him to take revenge on his brothers. Four times in these 15 verses we read, this is reiterated Hear it again, Joseph says, for God sent me before you to preserve life. Then again in verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant. And then verse 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And then down in verse 9, God has made me Lord of all of Egypt. Over and over, this idea of how God can use us if we're attentive to God, that God can use us in circumstances that we don't always understand until we look back. God can use us in circumstances even when we don't understand what's going to happen or how things are going to work out. Joseph sees God at work for good here. Joseph believes that God has been at work in all of this, and that he's been trying to be sensitive and listen so that he can respond to God, so that God can use him faithfully in the world. Joseph embodies, I think, this expectant waiting that we talked about last week of how important it is for us to have an awareness of God's life working in intersecting our lives, to have an attentiveness, to spend some time listening for God trying to learn to discern how God might want to work in our own lives. When Joseph does this, when he aligns himself with what God is doing, he becomes an instrument of reconciliation. He sets it all aside and says, God, 
sent me. God is working through me. One of the things the brothers hated in the beginning, now they like it quite a bit more. Things have really turned around. Joseph is living this theological identity that started generations before with Abraham of understanding that God wants to use us to bless others. That if we will be responsive to God's promises, God is able to do mighty things through us in the world. And that God was blessing these figures that we're reading about in Genesis so they might be a blessing to others. But notice this. Joseph does not stop at reconciliation saying, it's okay, our relationship is going to be fine. He goes much further than that. He offers to provide. Did you hear that? toward the end of the reading when he's telling his brothers to go back up and see their father he wants to have this message clear he says tell dad thus says your son joseph god has made me lord of all egypt come down to me do not delay you shall settle in the land of goshen and you shall be near me you and your children and your children's children as well as your flocks your herds and all that you have i will provide for you there You see that perspective where Joseph believes that he has received blessings, but he's to use it for the good of others, that he believes God has blessed him so that he might use his power, his authority, his place in the world to help someone else. You can hear, I think, this recurring theme with all these primary figures of faith of this striving with god of this struggling with god they're not perfect people and yet they're trying to stay in relationship with god and learn how to discern what god wants to do in their life and when they discern that and align their lives with god good things happen god uses them to bless others do you remember the name christian cooper You may not remember his name. What happened to him that put him in the news happened just hours before George Floyd was killed by a police officer in Minneapolis. But Christian Cooper lived in New York City. He's a member of the Audubon Society. And just hours before that incident in Minneapolis, he had gone to Central Park to watch birds. It's something he did often. And a woman came into that section of the park with a dog off her leash. And the dog's barking and running and going crazy. And so he asked the woman, would you put your dog back on the leash per the signs that are posted right there by you that dogs must be on the leash at all times? She refuses. And after they have a couple of more exchanges, she's on the phone calling 911, calling the police and saying that her life is being threatened by an African-American man, a black man. Well, luckily, Mr. Cooper was calm enough to pull out his phone and just start video recording what the woman was really saying and doing, what her dog was doing, which was going crazy, was not on a leash and just videotape the whole thing. So, her story didn't really hold up that she was being threatened. She was charged with making a false police report 
because her version of the story and the video simply did not match up. But what I want us to notice is what happens when we are eaten up by racial bias. This was a white woman talking to a black man. She made it very clear when she made the phone call that who she was being threatened by was a black man. And that kind of racial bias that comes out in everyday life is something that African Americans and other people of color in our country experience all the time and which for so many of us who are white we're just oblivious to it but it's becoming more and more a part of the news and bringing it to our attention so it gives us an opportunity to learn about what life is like for people of all colors in the United States well the surprising twist in all of this is that since the woman was charged with a false police report she's being prosecuted but Christian Q Cooper says he wants no part of supporting the prosecution he wrote an op-ed about his position I want to read you a few sentences of what he wrote I've said all along that I think it's a mistake to focus on this one individual. The important thing the incident highlights is the long-standing, deep-seated racial bias against us black and brown folk that permeates the United States, bias that can bring horrific consequences. He goes on to say about his own position of not supporting the prosecution, I must err on the side of compassion and not be involved in the prosecution. I know that some people may disagree with my reasoning and that this decision comes as a disappointment to many, but under the circumstances, it's the only course I can pursue in good conscience. Peter Marty, who wrote an article that I saw that brought all this to my attention, recently concluded the piece he wrote with this. We can't know every influence that has shaped Christian Cooper's conscience, but his persistent kindness through the turmoil of the present situation reminds us that conscience is never formed in the heat of the moment. It acquires the shape of goodness over time and through disciplined attention to right and wrong can you hear echoes of joseph's story in this story about mr cooper waiting and being attentive to god trying to discern what god is doing and do the right thing can you hear how we are shaped even in the midst of the struggle and the striving of our lives and can you see how reconciliation can come when a person is attentive to God and willing, is willing to set aside their own ego, their own self-interest, their own hurt or injustice, and see this bigger perspective that God is at work in our lives, and if we will allow it, God will use us for good, that God will use us to bring blessings to others. If we are willing to forego revenge in situations like we're talking about today, what great good might God bring?
to any one of us or to our community through us. We didn't get to read it, but in chapter 50, Joseph reiterates to his brothers at the end of Genesis what he believes this whole experience has been about. He says this, I put it in your outline. He says to his brothers, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. In our core value statement that we shared back in 2019, we tried to capture about seven core values. One of them goes with our sermon today. It says that we are a congregation, and what we do as a congregation is nurture people in our congregation to be ambassadors of reconciliation. That we want to be those people that God can use to do great good in our time and place. Joseph's story is great nourishment for any of us who are willing to be shaped during these days of struggle by God. May it be so for you. Amen.